Hey listeners, I'm your host, Daniel Schroeder, and this is the Biotech and Breweries podcast. Each episode, I'll share a beer or two from one of San Diego's best breweries with a leader from the biotech community as we try to make sense of the science behind some of the amazing biotech companies that call San Diego home. Today, we've got Mark Van Owen, Chief Operating Officer of Pacific Biosciences, joining us to try some of the beers from our friends at Harlan Brewing. Our conversation covered how Mark got his start in genomics, why San Diego has become a genomics hotbed, how COVID has impacted the fundraising landscape, and much more. Mark, what's up? Not much, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining me here. This is this is fun. Yeah. What'd you what'd you give me here? It looks like a sour. I got, you know, I wanted to give us a little variety from uh, from Harlan Brewing, which is actually, so they're based in San Diego. I think the breweries in Scripps Ranch, but they have a tasting room just down the street from you at One Paseo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got the giant, like Andre the Giant size can. Is, yeah, I like that. I got is, that here. It's one of their hazy IPAs. It's called Sunken Isles, one of their better beers. And then I also grabbed, I guess, what they call their Lilikoi, uh Sour, which I guess Lilikoi is Hawaiian for passion fruit. So it's not quite as exotic oh. as it might sound, but okay. Um, so I thought that's a nice little contrast. It's you know two beers from from Harlan. So I like it. Thank Have you, you been to Harlan actually, before? I've been to their tasting room at One Paseo. Okay. Um, one of when they were first getting going, they were tapping into people for little investments to help them get started. Yeah. And so like two or three of my friends that are still at Illumina, all like some tiny investments, but they all they all feel like they're like like part, committed part of the club to, to Harlan. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know I know some of the the people involved in the company. Um, so it's cool. I think they do a pretty good job. It's I mean, I think the brewery, the brewery business is a difficult one at this phase where there's seems like there's a never ending stream of of new breweries, but but I think they're one of the better ones in town. So I, I'm a fan. Yeah, great. What one are you going to start with? So I think the the my I think you should just open both of them. You could okay. do almost a little side by side comparison. You don't that, no no pressure to drink both of them, <laughs> but especially the big one. <laughs> yeah, I think you know I've taken a couple of sips of each to try them, and I think it might make sense to start with the sour because uh, it's a little bit lighter. So I think it, it makes sense to not be overwhelmed by the hazy IPA to start things out. All right. So while, while you're pouring, I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your background. I, I've known you for a while, but I, I don't know some of the history of where you where you came from and kind of how you got to where you are now. Um, so I know you grew up in Canada. I know I know that. Uh, but when you're growing up in Canada, did you envision yourself being in like the science or the life science world? Is that something Were you always interested in science or kind of where did where did this all start? I did grow up uh, just outside of Toronto. Um, so all my, all my education was, was in Canada and around Toronto, but um, I was always that science nerd, you know, maths and sciences and every elective I could take in, even in, even in university, you know, I, I went in for, for, a, for a chemistry and a biochemistry, but every elective was like calculus or physics or, or something in the maths and sciences. So, all right. um, but that's just where I wanted to end up. I always, I always thought I was going to be a medical doctor was going to be my path. Okay. Um, and it was actually my third year of undergrad. Um, I did a, I did a summer internship doing genetics research on Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Hmm. And at the time, my girlfriend had started medical school. So I was being exposed to her first year at medical school while I was doing this really cool Lou Gehrig's disease research. Yep. 
And I just said, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to do what she's doing. And literally I flipped. And so after three years of undergrad in, in chemistry and biochemistry, I flipped and went into genetics for my fourth year um, of undergrad and just flipped my whole discipline because I loved, I loved what I was doing with, with that research program. Um, from there, I, I had a good friend that had cystic fibrosis. And so I went to sick kids hospital in Toronto and I spent seven years at sick kids doing research on cystic fibrosis to see if I could help my friend. Wow. And, uh, and I just loved it. I mean, I love trying to cure disease and not just treat it. And that became my whole thing. Um, I never thought it ended up where I am now, you know, leading, leading big sales and marketing or sure. big efforts, but, but, um, I love the science. And, and so when I ended up coming into the business side of science, to me, it was, you know, I got to speak with the world's leading scientists. And so that inner geek in me still loves it. I, I really do. Like I've had, you know, it's been a busy couple of weeks with some acquisitions and I've gotten to talk to some of, you know, some of my old friends in, in Canada and you know, some of the biggest customers around the world about what we're doing with, with the PAC biotechnology. So I love it. It's exposure to science and I get to learn every day. So I love it. It's just what really motivates and drives me. So you're, you're passionate about it. It's not, it's not a forced thing that you're doing. No, it's not. It's not yeah, it doesn't that, feel like a job. It seems like you've got a big smile on your face as you're saying. Yeah, no, Dan, it's not, a, it's, it's never, it's never felt like a job. You know, I, uh, I'm motivated by it. I'm driven by it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can be infectious, you know, just, just having, having a real purpose in what we're doing. And, and to me, it's where they're enabling amazing scientists around the world and, you know, hopefully one day enabling way better clinical testing. Yep. Yep. So, so after, so you've been in the, I mean, looking at your, your background, I think you've been in genomics for, is it 20 years or so? Is that, is that about right? Come on now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been a very, you know, very successful career clearly. Um, so how, how has the field, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of, especially now there's a lot of focus on the genomics industry and in San Diego, there's genomics, there's a handful of genomics companies and obviously some very large ones. How, how has the industry evolved over that 20 years? I mean, was it, you know, did it seem like it was headed in the same direction 20 years ago that it's kind of going in now? No, you know, it's, um, it's really hard to, it's really hard to predict even where we're going to be in five years. And, and so, you know, I spent 15 years at Illumina, you know, when we started out, you know, we, we had no idea that we were going to be able to be, you know, the size of an organization that they got to, and, you know, Illumina will do more than $4 billion of sales. Right? When I joined, there were 300 people and we did $77 million, right? Like it, it's just, yeah. you can't, ima- you can't imagine that kind of scale and growth yep. um, or just the adoption of, of, of genomics. And so, you know, we are still at the beginning of genomics getting into healthcare um, and it's completely changed from a general public's perception of genomics. When I, when I started at Illumina, nobody knew what I did. Nobody knew who Illumina was. I would still say most people still don't know who Illumina is, but they understand genetic testing or they understand genomics or they understand that, you know, there's, um, there's an opportunity for different types of testing. Yep. Uh, and, and that is, I think, in itself, a, a huge statement on how biotech has gone much more mainstream. COVID is, you know, as frustrating as it's been, it's highlighting again the use of, of genomics in testing and now for surveillance and for identifying all these new COVID variants. And so, so as, as these things unfold, it's, it's been a great opportunity to, to let people understand what genomics and what the biotech industry is doing for them. Yep. And so is, is COVID kind of you, I mean, it's COVID's kind of, it can be a game changer, I think, but it, and it's, uh, I'm sure has changed the, at least temporarily changed the focus of, of the company, but is it, 
is it, is it viewed as a kind of a, just a moment in time where eventually the, the focus needs to go back to the normal stuff or, or how does that, how does that play into the long-term plan? It's actually been more additive than, uh, than you would imagine. Um, and, and much more so for people that are in like PCR testing for genomics, like look what like Thermal Fisher has done, you know, it's still a huge Carlsbad presence here, but you know, if look what Thermal Fisher has done with PCR testing for COVID, you know, it's amazing to see them ramp. And I, I think, you know, so a bunch of companies were able to pivot really quickly and, and had great success in the last 12 to 18 months in the testing arena. Um, right now, Illumina is doing really well with surveillance and, and understanding how this virus is changing around the world over time. And so this global surveillance um, for, for viruses, we've always felt there was a need for it. The market just didn't exist because nobody was going to pay for the infrastructure. And so now that that global infrastructure is being built out, I don't see this as a one-time event anymore. I think it will evolve over time as new viruses emerge yep. um, and, and or it will become more than just a COVID surveillance or COVID application. So, so I think all of the learnings and all of the investments that, that the biotech industry has put into testing and or surveilling COVID is going to just expand into, into pan-viral approaches or, or pan-pathogen approaches. So I think it's infrastructure that, that we actually needed here in the U.S. and, and globally as well. It seems like COVID has maybe brought more focus and more, I mean, I think with that, more funding as well. So I, the companies you're mentioning don't seem like they're short on cash, but uh, no. there's others I'm sure that are kind of benefiting from from the, the extra attention. Oh, for sure. It's, you know, though, you know, I, I mentioned those companies because they're big and, and they've helped enabled, enable a lot of other smaller companies. But, um, you know, it's, you know, there are tests, they look at Helix as another San Diego company, right? They were struggling with the direct-to-consumer market they pivoted really quickly to COVID testing. And now, you know, I think, you know, most of the CVS testing in California is running through a little San Diego lab and it's, it's revitalized that entire company. And so, so there's been some really positive aspects of, of COVID for our industry, you know, knowing that not all the industries have benefited the way, the way um, ours has, but, but yeah, there, there are a lot of what, what I would have considered smaller testing facilities that um, were able to be successful and, and now have a new, a new future opportunity for COVID and, and viral testing. Yep. So how how did so San Diego, at least from my perspective, being here, it kind of feels like it's a genomics. It's a it's a beer and a genomics hub, craft um, craft brewery and craft brewery and, 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 and uh, life science. But a big part of the life science community here is the genomics space. How, how do you think that came about? I mean, I kind of know that the, you know UCSD is here, and and there's some of it comes from there. But I mean, what what about San Diego has led to there being um, you know handful of successful genomics companies? You think? Yeah, well, I, I would attribute a lot of that early on was in Vitrogen, right? So it was in Vitrogen that acquired Applied, applied Biosystems and all of the Applied Biosystems sequencing technology. Um, you know, and, and you have to remember before, before Illumina, you know, Applied Biosystems was the, was the dominant market player for sequencing. And so that became a part of what was, you know, Life Technologies when in Vitrogen, you know, San Diego-based company um, grew and, and that became Thermo Fisher. And so there's there's been a really big, lab and life science presence from, from those, from those organizations. Um, but the genomics focus, I do think spurred from Illumina growing up here and the competition between Illumina and applied biosystems okay. and that competitive dynamic, I think, I think both companies did better as a result of that. Um, and so it was, you know, Illumina buying Celexa was applied biosystems buying, you know, solid technology, you know, then it was life tech buying, you know, ion torrent to compete. And so there's always been this sequencing play yep. as new companies emerge in San Diego. And, you know, as, as both Thermo Fisher and Illumina have become giants, 
you know, they're what, $200 billion market cap for Thermo Fisher. And I didn't look today, but probably $65-70 billion for Lumina. Um, there's been a lot of a lot of investment into genomics here. Um, and a lot of companies have spun out and a lot of executives that have left those companies have started um, new, new, new biotech opportunities. And so, so it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a hotbed. It's actually a really important part of now with, now that I'm with PacBio, you know, it's been really important for us to get a San Diego presence, you know, because of, because of the talent that's down here for, for life sciences. And so, as you just mentioned, perfect timing. Um, so you, you made this change, I guess, what, January? So six months ago, you made the change from, as you said, Illumina to PacBio, which you go from kind of this giant company that's grown, had this giant growth over 15 years to kind of going back to a company that's kind of, you know, almost at the spot where they were when you, where Illumina was when you joined. So is it, has it been, what's that been like to go from a giant company to, you know, a, still a sizable company in public, but just a lot smaller? Yeah, it was that was a really hard decision for me, um, and I'm, and I was in no way running from Illumina. Um, I just wanted to go back to a smaller company. I wanted to get back closer to the science. You know, I'm so driven by the science. You know, for the 15 years at Illumina, I was on the commercial side, so sales and marketing and support, and so very very much more involved with the customers and the end users of the technology. But but you know, with PacBio, I got to go to a small company. You know, it was a 400 person company when I joined them in January. Um, instead, instead of a 8,000 person company, you know, I had 2000 people or almost 2000 people on my team at Illumina. Um, I've got 200 people on my team now at PacBio. And so, so, you, so know, you know, so, you know, you know, most of them at least, right? That's right. Before yeah, it's kind of hard to in, keep track. I, I know most of their names. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it was a lot of fun building Illumina and scaling Illumina. And so, so, you know, a few of us that have gone to PacBio now have been through, you know, 12 to 15 years at Illumina. You know, and we see that same chance to to take back bio from a, a small 400 person company to you know a real market player and you know really start to to scale it and have some fun doing it. That's great. And what so what is what is the goal? I mean, Pack Bio, how, how does it fit into the genomics landscape? I guess with other players, is it is it trying to compete and do the same thing that some of the others are doing, or is there a different niche or a different space that they're trying to kind of claim? Or what's the what's the goal? So. So we're shifting the goals a little, the goalposts a little bit, but, but you know, traditionally, you know, PacBio has created a really great. It's it's called a single molecule sequencer, long read sequencer. Um, it fills a different niche than what Illumina and other short read sequencing companies have have filled in the past. And you know what it does is it lets you look at you know more of the genome. And so you can look at aspects of disease that aren't easily recognized by short reads. And so, so I've always seen it as very complementary to Illumina. Um, it's why Illumina a few years ago tried to acquire PacBio. Okay. Uh, and so, and so the complementarity of the short read and the long read technologies really lets you go out there and address all of these different clinical markets and clinical tests um, in in a technology agnostic way. And just really, what question are we trying to answer? So, so I see it as very complementary to Illumina. Um, and mostly around, uh, how do I say this? Is I can't be scientific. Um, you know, you're, you're, we call it the germline. Like, so, so like your 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 inherited genome, right? So, cancer is all these somatic mutations and rare events that happen. But you're born with a genome, and that's what PacBio looks at really well. Illumina can detect little changes that happen through cancer or through drugs or through other things. And so, so you're not looking for changes in the genome over the course of your life. You're looking for what what did I inherit from my parents. Okay. And how is that going to impact me? And so there's there's really good use cases now for PacBio for these rare undiagnosed diseases, mostly in children's hospitals right now. 
Um, but it's, you know, what, what genetic defect does this child have that's leading to failure to thrive or neurological disorders or autism? And so there's all these things that we can help, help families with children of, of rare diseases look at now. So is, uh, is being a parent, is there, is that part of the thought behind it? So that seems like that's, you start to think about the things that you, you could, you know, I'm lucky to have healthy kids at, you know, same, I think with you, but yeah. you start to think about how much that could impact your life and how hard that would be. Is that part of the motivation to, to be doing what you're doing? Is it, it there's, it can, it it can no, help so, kids. So, you know, I spent seven years at sick kids hospital in Toronto. Um, I was surrounded by the sickest of the children in Canada would come to be treated at that hospital in Toronto because it was the country's best facility. And so, so there's absolutely a passion for me in, in getting into childhood diseases and pediatric diseases and helping. Um, but, uh, you know, over time, you know, I think everybody should have their genome sequenced, right? And there are millions of adults with diseases that they don't know what is causing the disease. And so there's millions of people that we can help today. Um, you know, but over time, I think it's just, you know, having that baseline, you know, having that initial map of your, of your genetics is a really yeah. important thing. And then as you age, you know, things change as you drink too many beers in San Diego, things change, <laughs> you know, as you surf too much and in, in the sun, you know, so, so you accumulate all of these changes over time, but to me, you need to have that, that baseline genome information. And, and that's where I think PacBio can really help. And I think it'll lead to healthier, healthier lifestyle over time. So if someone wanted, so if I wanted to get my genome sequenced, you know, by PacBio, is there a way for me to do that? Or what's, what, how does that work? You could, it's still, it's still a little bit expensive, but you, you know, you could, um, <laughs> you know, the, you know, these are thousands of dollars now. They're not, they're no longer tens of thousands of dollars, but they're thousands of dollars today. Yep. Um, the goal is, you know, genomes should be under a thousand dollars. They should be a part of routine clinical care. You know, they should be a first line of, of clinical use for, for children of rare diseases, yep. um, you know, and, and we'll see how it evolves. Um, you know, I, I think some of the bigger opportunities are going to be in oncology over time. And that's where, that's where Illumina has been very focused and why they're looking at, you know, acquiring Grail. You know, there's, there's a huge opportunity for genomics to help catch cancers earlier and, and make better selections on treatments for cancer. Um, and so because those markets are so big and interesting um, is why, you know, we just announced a pack bio that we have an agreement to acquire a, another company here in San Diego called Omnium. Um, it's, it's a short read sequencer. And so it's, it's much more um, aligned with what Illumina is trying to do in the markets Illumina serves. And so, and so because that opportunity is so big, we are going to expand beyond our traditional long read sequencing and, and get into the short read sequencing now as well. It's exciting. That's great. It's great news. Yeah. No, it's exciting. And again, there's, you know, 120 more people in San Diego to add to PacBio <laughs> and, and, and up in, in San Francisco. And um, again, it's, you know, a talent pool. It's, it's expanding, you know, biotech in San Diego. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. And so how does that work? So how has COVID, what is COVID? I mean, COVID has been tough for a lot of companies. There's been some some upside, I guess, maybe from a corporate standpoint or business standpoint for genomic companies. You guys went through an acquisition. Is it, you know, is it what's that like trying to integrate another company and trying to get to know new colleagues? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Just just even forget about the acquisitions, just onboarding new people yeah. is hard. Right. So I, you know, I started in January. I've only been to the, the PacBio office in San Francisco twice in six months, you know, and, and, and that's only been recently because we started to open up the doors and now, and now we're shutting them again to non-essential workers because of this new Delta variant. So, yeah. so I think onboarding and getting to know your team, 
um, has been a real challenge. We, you know, of the of the you know few hundred people that would normally go to the office in San Francisco, we've only had 80 to 100 going in, and these are you know people doing manufacturing. You know, we have to keep the business going. People, people in the labs doing experiments, and so so there's been a there's been a small group of people that since the beginning of the pandemic have been going into the labs and the manufacturing and into the office, but the majority of people have just been working from home. And you know, we figured out how to be productive doing it, but I don't think you can ever um, ever fully accommodate you know the the benefits of being together by being remote. Yeah. Uh, and and so I'm really looking forward to being able to to reopen the office and and have some much more productive meetings. Yeah, Delta variant being the unknown kind of factor there. Is there is there a timeline that you guys are trying to hoping to stick to? I guess with re- reopening and getting people back together. Yeah, I mean, since the big be- since the beginning of this year, we've been saying September seventh, and so we try to schedule around families and knowing that you know after Labor Day, you know people have been able to get through their summer holidays with their kids and yep. everyone back to school. So we've been trying to target September 7th after Labor Day. Um, and we're, and we're still on that date, but, you know, we just recently went back fully masked indoors. Um, you know, we've now closed off all accesses except the front door again. So you got to go in yeah. and do your health check on the front door. So, so even in the last week we've tightened up because of some of the exposures we've had to the, the, the Delta variant of COVID. Um, so it's it's a wait and see, but we're we're hoping September seventh is still there. If not, we'll we'll probably push it to October, and you know, in all likelihood, it may get pushed again to January. Yeah, I don't think there's not a lot of sense to opening up between you know Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so if it's not October, it's probably January. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Well, so, so through COVID, per, I mean, for you personally, have there been any any silver linings or anything that's that you think you'll do differently, you know, post COVID, which hopefully isn't too far off. <laughs> Hopefully I'll drink less beer. <laughs> no, it's yeah. So you have to, I mean, there's there's moments in your life, right? And and you you know this. You've you just had a another another young addition to your family. True. You know, you probably hear Ryland screaming right now. Um, you know, so so you know, I've been I've been home and I've been a much more involved father than I used to be. Yep. You know, I'm traveling the world 60% of the time. Yep. Um, so I've been home, I've been present. Um, I learned, uh, you know, a lot of those international trips were very effective over Zoom. Right? I think yep. I think that the team and the team dynamics and the internal culture is hard, but but you know, I I think I can do a lot of international business a lot faster now. And the expectation is not always to fly around the world to see people, so that's going to yep. help. Um, but selfishly, I learned that I like being home, and yeah. so, so that's the biggest shift. I've, I've, that's a takeaway for me too. I mean, the idea now of like spending time driving, you know, on the freeway to get to work at a certain time and, and same thing, like trying to scramble to get out of the office, to get home in time for dinner with kids. It's just, I don't think I can go back to that. So it's trying to figure out how you can kind of integrate maybe work and obviously having to have some kind of presence in the office. But um, I, my, my hope is that everybody can kind of look at that and make some changes that, that kind of has the, it maybe improves the work-life balance a little bit. Yeah, I would think in your industry you can you can have that flexibility as well. And yeah, you know, I, I don't expect the majority of the company to ever be full time back in the office. You yeah. know, it's probably going to be uh, some hybrid where a couple of days a week you're in the office, you know, yeah. a couple of days you're at home. But I don't expect people to ever really fully return um, after this because yeah. there there are some pro- productive things you can do without commutes. Um, you know, and not that the commute's that bad in San Diego, but it is in the Bay Area. It's and terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and so the, the Bay Area employees, you know, really love having that extra hour back in their day. I bet. 
So, you know, looking forward, what, what motivates you at this point in your career? I know you obviously have talked about having a passion for the science and um, I think you're at a point where you're not, you know, maybe not needing to have the paycheck quite as much as you maybe were at one point in your life, but what, what is the, what's the motivation at this point? Oh, I love the people. I love the industry. You know, I still love the science. Um, you know, so, so to me, it's become very personal to me, you know, just like, just like choosing cystic fibrosis for my PhD was a very personal decision because of, because of my, my university friend that had CF, um, you know, doing better with genomics and healthcare is, is, you know, it, it sounds altruistic, but it is really what drives me and motivates me. Um, you know, I lost my father and a younger cousin both last year, um, to cancer that should have been caught earlier and should have been detected. And there's really no excuse that, you know, the health system failed them. And so, so I know that there are better ways to treat people and identify things. Um, and I'm in the industry and I could do nothing about it. And so I'm motivated to, to start to make a bigger impact and, and have a, have a, um, have, have a real opportunity for genomics to, to help people with these different diseases. Well, sorry. I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about the, the, I mean, with COVID too. I mean, obviously that was a tough, tough year. You said that the upside, yeah. having, having a baby and, and the, the, right. the kind of joy and the brightness that that brings, I'm sure can help, but that's, that's a tough year though, for sure. It was. Yeah. And, and, you know, fortunately we were able to bring my mom down to the U S and you know we couldn't go to Canada for a funeral. Right. But yeah. uh, we bring my mom yeah. down here. And so she spent most of the year with us as well, which was oh, good, which worked out well, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I know that genomics can do better. Um, and it's not just about the payers and reimbursement, you know, it's not about educating the clinicians. It's, it's getting genomics into the hands of the right people. And, and to me, it's, it's having people um, ask for it. And so educate, you know, you talk about, you know, what's changed, you know, people know to ask for genetic testing now. And, yep. and that wasn't the case years ago. I'm sure your wife had a, had a NIPT test, yep. right? You sure. know, so you can, you know, you can have simple blood draws and, 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 you know, you don't have to amni have amniocentesis anymore to look for Down syndrome. Right. right. And so there are markets where genetic testing has really rapidly been adopted because of the obvious benefits to the patients. Yep. And I think it's as obvious for many of these oncology applications or many of these, these rare child disease applications. Um, and we just need the physicians to demand it. I think that's that's great and I, I i'm excited to kind of see where that where we're at in, in you know 10 15 20 years and see how it can, things continue to improve yeah yeah so, all right back, back to the beer real quick so did you yeah. did you get a chance to try both of them i'm just opening up the sour now i i have a bit of an affinity for hazies so that you was you a, didn't a, take my advice <laughs> that was a really good choice let me try it now the sour is actually it's pretty good i feel like though if you have the hazy first the, the, it kind of overpowers the sour. So it's not, it means you just have to have a second sip because the first sip. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. That's a good problem to have, I guess. That is good. Yeah. I, um, on a hot day, I like my sours. They're, they're it's, becoming more popular. This one, some of them are a little too much. This one's got a little bit of tartness, but not, not too sour. So it's kind of, it's kind of a nice balance if you like. Yeah. There's another one I, I get quite a bit. It's called the cucumber sour. Okay. It's like a who, white, I forget the brewery. Who makes that? Is, is I, it okay? I, I'm going to have to send it to you, Dan. I'll have to keep um, an eye out for it. But it's a good fresh one. Cucumber sour. It's a white can with a green rim. Okay. That sounds refreshing. Very it summerish. Is. It is. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all I've got. Um, if there's anything else you'd love to add, I'd love to hear it. But otherwise, I really appreciate you making time to, to join me on my uh, 
you know, my, my startup podcast here and, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe down the road, five, 10 years, we can, we can do this again. And you can kind of, we can, we can look back at the progress that you've made, um, over that time period. Yeah. It's, you know, I wish I could predict where we'll be in 10 years. I, I know that we're going to be in a better spot of being in control of our own health. You know, that's, that's where I see this going is, you know, being people being able to demand their own testing and, and understand their own health in much better ways and, and integrate it all with our wearables, you know, yeah. there's technology out there. And, and so I think that the next phase is going to be, you know, integration with wearables and, and, you know, really understanding how we can, how we can better ourselves. But um, this is fun. And, and, and I also think that in five years, the beers and the sours and the breweries <laughs> in San Diego are going to get better too. There's, yeah. a, there's, there's a, there's a lot of research going on right now that we're helping with yeast strains. Okay. Uh, so that's so, good. You know, it's, hopefully, it's hopefully you can come up with one that you can drink plenty of without gaining any weight. That, like, that'd be, you know, I think most dads out there would appreciate that if you could have a couple of beers and not have to worry about like the health consequences of it. So if you can come up with that, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah, no, the low carb beers do not do it. How about the zero, the zero carb delicious hazy IPA? That'd be fantastic. Yeah, excellent. On it, on it. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. This has been right. fun. Mark, thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Bye. There it is. Episode number two is a wrap. Big thanks to Mark for making time to join. Hope you listeners enjoyed the conversation. To get in touch, you can visit biotechandbreweries.com. That's it for now. More biotech and breweries coming your way soon. 